I'll talk a little more about the video we saw at the end of the service. I've been thinking this week about the difference between volunteers and champions. There's a difference there. I think volunteers are folks who see a need and step in to help. They're folks who see what others are doing and say, that's a good thing, I'd like to join them. Um, all the ministries, all the work that gets done in the community is, is usually born the back of volunteers. Volunteers are, are really important to the work of the kingdom of God. And nothing I say this morning should make you think less of those who volunteer. But, but there's a legitimate comparison to make between volunteers and champions. Champions are folks who, for, for one reason or another, have decided that something is so important that they just can't wait for the group response. They, they feel like they've got to make it happen themselves. And if there's a cost to it, they will attempt to bear the cost within themselves and, and, and they will just pursue because they have uh, been consumed by some need. I can remember when Jonathan was in sixth grade, I've told you this story before, so forgive me, but it applies. When Jonathan was in sixth grade, I went to the first meeting of the town basketball league for sixth graders. I walked into the meeting, John's with me, sixth grade. There are 22 kids to try out for the basketball team for sixth graders. There's one coach and one team. You do the math on that, you very quickly understand since no one gets cut, and since everybody gets equal playing time, and since a basketball team only has five people on at a time. That means on the equal play rule, every kid gets to play less than one quarter of every game. Being a relatively decent mathematician, I said to the coach that was there, I said, you understand that everybody is gonna get less than one quarter playing time. He goes, yeah, but we just don't have another coach. Are you volunteering? So I said yes, having only ever played intramural basketball in high school myself and did a lot of internet searches to figure out how to do that, but I knew that there was a need here and if I stepped up and coached, then we would cut the number of kids in half, put them on two teams, and now everybody's playing time got it to almost a half at least. And maybe if I did it, others would be inspired and maybe there's a chance at three teams. I didn't know. That's volunteering, it's a noble thing, but I don't know that it counts as volunteering because really my motivation was to do it for my own kid, right? Jesus has something to say about when you throw a banquet, invite those people who can't reciprocate can't pay you back because if you do it just for those who reciprocate, you already have the reward, right? But, but, but when you reach past that place where what you're doing is serving your own self-interest, there's, 
There's something more there, something more significant. I remember the year that uh, Dave Hewins and I were praying. You know Dave, he has a heart for recovery ministries and we had to close our Celebrate Recovery for a period of time and Dave desperately believed that we needed to do this but he didn't have a leader and he didn't know how to do this and, and so we prayed that God would provide a leader to the place where Dave said, we can't wait anymore for this, this has to happen. If I have to be the leader and Lord knows I'm not competent to be the leader, I will do whatever it takes, Lord. And you will have to enable this. But there are people who need recovery that I love. And so we prayed and said, go. Trusting that God would provide. That's champion territory, right? I don't know how you're going to do this, God. But somehow, if the price has to be paid just within me, I'm yours. I'll do, I'll do what I have to do. You know my wife, Nancy. Don't get embarrassed. She loves coming to church. She loves worshiping with you. She loves hearing the sermon. She loves talking with you after the service and connecting and hearing about your lives and, and praying for you. So when I say to you in 2017, she had to miss almost nine months of services in order to work with your children to do musicals. You have to understand that costs something. It costs something to leave the service and miss church every week for almost nine months. It costs something to not be able to come into the lobby after the service and connect with you and talk with you and pray with you. It's, it's a loss of all that social belonging. She would say to me, I don't, I don't know, what, I feel like I don't know what's going on in people's lives. I don't know how to pray for them. I'm so disconnected because I'm downstairs with the kids. And you understand why, don't you? She loves your children so deeply. She desperately wants your children to have a deep, solid foundation in the love of Christ that she will pay with the loss of worship and the loss of connectedness and the loss of all that because she has a passion that your kids will know and love Jesus. That's, that's champion territory when when it's not just the need we're responding to, it's, it's this passionate love that Christ has put in us that compels us, that draws us, that makes us step forward. When we see Jesus standing at the head of the parade on Palm Sunday, you see the God-man looking at our need and saying, a champion is required. You, you know how the story unfolds, right? It's, it's John 12, verses 12 to 16. I'm going to ask Gary just to read it briefly, just so that we're, we're firmly anchored on what the passage says to us today. This is John 12, 12 to 16. Gary, would you read that? 
The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John quotes Zechariah 9.9 when he records what the prophet said. See, your king comes, your king comes riding on a donkey. It outlines the manner in which the king of the universe will come in humility and in grace and in love. The people who were present that day, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're repeating Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. And if you look back at that passage, the words that come just before, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are, Lord, save us. Lord, help us. This isn't just a victory march. This is acknowledging the one who's coming is the one who has the ability to save us, to do something about our predicament. And Jesus stands at the beginning of that parade and he says, I will do whatever it takes to pay the price within myself to rescue this race that is just lost. He does it in his way, on his terms, in humility and graciousness and kindness. But we're in champion territory here. And he does what he can do, inspired by this passionate love that he has for you and for me. He's so gripped by this passion. Do you remember the passage? I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is looking over the city before these days and he, he sees all the people there and he's half sobbing, half praying. He said, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather you into my arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks. That, that's the heart of Jesus for us. That's, that's, that's who he wants to be. For us, that's why he's stepping to the plate like this on Palm Sunday. When I was a student at Eastern Nazarene College, Esther Sanger, the person for whom this Compassionate Ministry Center is named for, was also a student. I was 20, she was 50. Okay, she was an older student. I always thought she was a little bit odd. She was about this tall, about this wide. Um, Russ Metcalf, the pastor of the church we attended said, she had faults as big as all of the rest of us. So she was a regular person like us, feisty little woman. I think I had at least one class with her which caused me to think that she wasn't the sharpest tack in the box.
but she had a passion for people. And she loved people. And it caused her to do something as unthinkable as this. Quincy was a rough town. A lot of brokenness. The 70s were a time of substance addiction, much like we have today. And this little, and I do mean little, old lady would write on pieces of paper, if you are in crisis, call this number and write her home phone number on the paper and tacked it up all over town. And people started calling. And she would do whatever she could to meet that need, whatever. She had a van that she would drive around to wherever people called from and she would go to them and she would have bread and peanut butter in the back of her van if that was all that she could afford. And she would feed whoever would call or hook them up with the right hotline. Or She just had this huge compassion and, and you could read it in her that somehow God had so expanded her soul had given her a love that was so all-encompassing that she could not help but respond to the need that was around her. This isn't her saying, boy, I ought to do something about this. This is her saying, I've got to do whatever I can for these people who are so in need. And the phone began to ring and ring and ring. And it wasn't very long a few years after I graduated, I heard that the, the Quincy Crisis Center had been established, run by Esther. And her passion bled over into the lives of others. And some became champions like hers, and some were just volunteers, and that was okay. Because together, they started to make a difference in the town. And they began to respond to any needs that happened. And they had up years and down years. And they ran out of resources. And they needed help. And they wrote grants. And they did whatever. They... Esther was any of us whose hearts were enlarged by Christ. Gregory Boyle says, if we want to be in this world who God is, then our compassion must find its way to vastness. I believe that the Spirit of God would like to raise up some champions among us. Some folks who will do more than just be volunteers. But will be so open to the movement of the Spirit that we would allow God to transform us in ways that don't count costs, in ways that perhaps aren't wise, but in ways that are spirit-directed in response to the overwhelming love that Christ has placed in us. I'll be rock-bottom honest with you. I think one of the errors that the Church of the Nazarene has made from time to time is that we have viewed this doctrine of holiness that we hold dear too much in terms 
of the personal performance of the individuals involved and less in terms of the compassion of our heart for others. Because the only holiness there is is social holiness. The only holiness that matters is the heart of God in me for others. And when I'm so concerned about the needs of others that I'm willing to reform myself by the power of the Spirit to be what the world needs me to be for the cause of Christ, then everything changes in my life. Jesus steps up, proclaims himself to be our champion. He knows exactly what Holy Week will entail for him. There's, there's no illusions about what's gonna happen. He's already prayed, Lord, I'd rather not, I'd rather avoid this if it's possible, but I can't pray that because this is the reason I've come. My passion brings me to this place. My passion for my creation, my passion for the people I love, it all brings me to this place and opportunity of service. And I will do whatever is necessary so that my folks can know how deeply and passionately I love them. And I'm wondering how that's reflected in us. I'm wondering what the Spirit of God's been saying to you through this period of Lent. You understand the one who sits on the throne is the crucified Lamb of God who passionately gave everything he had for you so that you would know the immensity, the vastness of his love for you. Can you hear him say, I love you? Next Sunday, Easter, highest holy day of the year, we'll celebrate communion. But I've, I've been feeling like that for the six weeks after that, the, the season of Easter, if you will, that we're gonna need to take communion every week for those six weeks at the end of the service. And each time we take communion, we're gonna listen for the voice of Jesus saying, I love you, I love you. Sometimes we get nervous around communion. We think of communion in terms of judgment. How have I done? It's self-reflection. But I get to turn that on its head for six weeks. And every time you receive the communion elements, you remember the cross of Jesus. You remember the price that he's paid. And you hear him speak definitively into your life, I love you. That's what the week's about, isn't it? He loves you. He's your champion. He's going to do whatever it takes so that you know you can live in the liberty his love purchases for you. He paid to make that possible for us. May the Spirit of God so fill your hearts with the passion for the people that he loves 
that we will find our lives unable to contain his passion for his people. May it break through any false walls we have erected that we might be the people of God given for the world. To his glory now and forever. Amen.